Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Happy July, Simone. Can you believe halfway through the year, Jacques? You know, I I would say that I'm grateful to be halfway through the year, but I also am a little uh, unsure about what the second half of the year is going to bring. So I'm just not trying to think as much about time and and just be in the moment. But uh, how was your 4th of July weekend, speaking of of being in the moment? Did you see the meme that said, all right, July, you just sit down, you be quiet, and I don't want to hear nothing from you, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So we had a we had a good long fourth weekend. It is hard to kind of wrap our mind around it being, you know, halfway through the year. There's we we had a busy first half regardless and things turned unexpected, but we still have a lot going on um in the second half as well. So kind of get time to get your head back into the work game and and see what life's going to be like for the next couple of months. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we have a great show lined up today and hopefully in the coming uh, weeks, we'll have some more uh, guests on to talk about some of the developments that are happening that are very important on Louisiana's coast. So um, no shortage of work and things to discuss on the coast. I will say um, 4th of July was pretty low key for us. Um, I think Winnie, our chow, is, you know, the one who like she gets the best weekends out of all of us because she gets she gets amazing walks and dog parks. Our life is a weekend, huh? (laughs) Exactly. I know. She's, you know, if if I come back in the next life, it'd want to be Winnie the Chow because she's certainly uh, well taken care of. But but in um, action alert type news, you finally got your hair (gasps) cut. I, I yes. should have said this were, <laughs> that we showed the video for this, but yes, <laughs> it was getting uh, really unruly, you know. Um, and I was either going to go full on like Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder uh, with the hair, or I was going to get it cut. So, think I, you know, my barber uh, took very extreme precautions. We both wore masks. You know, he does a great job like disinfecting in between guests. So I felt comfortable to go and get a haircut. And I, I think I lost about five pounds and just in hair. So you had yes, to retire so, your headbands. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to see. I don't think the headbands will work with the, with the shorter hair. So, you know, well, <laughs> you know, Jacques in, in preparing for the show for today, it, it did, it was nice to kind of get back into work and it's fun to talk about, you know, life getting back to normal, like haircuts and things like that. So, so I'm grateful for the show today because it, it gave me something new to read and something new to think about too. Yeah. And I'm so excited to have, um, you know, a first time guest on in, in the first half of the show, um, someone who, you know, I can't believe we have not had on before, um, but so excited to speak with him. And then at the second half of the uh, show, we'll have a guest that's been a familiar voice, I guess, on Delta Dispatches. So let's bring on our first guest, um, Dr. Ehab Maselli, professor with Tulane School of Science and Engineering. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Ehab. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, you recently worked on a new study and analysis that, that, that came out and, you know, is, is particularly relevant given what's been happening on the Mississippi River. And we want to get to that. But since this is your first time on the show, um, we'd love to kind of introduce you to some of our listeners and give them a sense of your background. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've had a very, um, you know, impressive career um, in Louisiana and beyond. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, so, so yeah, my name is uh, Ihab Misalhi. I'm a water resource engineer 
And uh, I currently work at Tulane University in a new department called River Coastal Science and Engineering, uh, which, as you mentioned, is part of the College of Science and Engineering. Uh, I have been living in Louisiana for about 23 years, and I started my career here in the state at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. So Ehab, what made little Ehab want to do this kind of work? Um, so I, I actually started uh, my career, I am uh, originally born in Egypt. So I started my career in Egypt uh, right after I finished my undergrad uh, and I worked at the National Water Research Center. Um, and in that center, I studied um, the Nile River and Delta. And that, that what piqued my interest in the water resources area in general. From there, I moved to the United States and I did my graduate school at the Iowa Institute of Hydroscience and Engineering, which is part of the University of Iowa. And that's where I learned the fundamentals of developing and applying computer models to natural systems, rivers, deltas, coastal areas, and so on. Yeah, so, we want to get into that. Um, but yeah, why don't you go, Simone? No, 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 no. I, I find that so curious. Ehab, tell us, tell us about how the Nile compares to the Mississippi River Delta. So this interesting comparison because uh, they do have some similar challenges. For example, uh, dams and reservoirs that uh, were put in place on the upper part of the both basins uh, led to some sediment starvation in the lower systems. They are both, both systems on Ireland and Mississippi are facing uh, sea level rise issues, salinity intrusion issues, uh, but they are also have some fundamental differences. For example, the Nile is an uh, internationally shared uh, river basin. So they have more than, um, I think it's about 10 countries that are sharing that. So they have more water right issues, international water right issues that we don't have to deal with here in the Mississippi. Um, but they do have some similarities. Um, uh, the Nile have a much smaller coastal wetland system. So there are some interesting differences, but also global uh, similarities that they both share, along with many of the other large river systems around the world. That's so interesting. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the challenges and opportunities of managing the Mississippi River among states, you know, within the same country. I can't imagine the complexities that come from, you know, the number of countries that, you know, the Nile flows through. So super fascinating. And we love to talk about comparisons, you know, outside of Louisiana. We've had some guests touch on that. So Dr. Maselli, um, focusing in on your modeling work, I mean, it must be pretty complex to model a system as, as, as large and extensive as the Mississippi River and the Mississippi River Delta. Help us understand what, what exactly goes into the modeling work and can you help us understand like how you've used it? Um, you know, for those of us who, who, you know, models probably, you know, bring us back to uh, calculus and stuff and our eyes just gloss over. <laughs> so break it down for us. So sure. So models are, uh, there is a system of mathematical equations that capture the physical processes and those are probably very mature in the water area. So that's why we have a much more mature and credible way of modeling how the water moves. Um, then when you move to from water to sediment transport or water quality um, or ecology, then you, you start to rely on a lot of empirical representation of these processes. And that's why you always hear 
that uncertainties um, or level of error in these models in terms of modeling water is much, much lower than when you get into modeling sediment transport uh, or vegetation dynamics and so on, because uh, there is a lot more empirical equations. Empirical equation meaning that we don't know precisely the physical processes that are driving uh, these systems. We only know trends, general behavior from observations in the field, and we come up with simplified equations that try to capture that trend. And that's why modeling sediment transport, modeling vegetation dynamics have a lot more uncertainty in it. At the end of the day, it's, a, it's a, an attempt to mimic nature, uh, but we obviously uh, cannot capture 100% of the natural systems out there. So, so Ehab, let's shift gears a little bit to talk about the recent study that was published about upriver diversions and their impact on Bonnie Carey spillway openings. So let's talk about first, what, what did you look at as part of this research? Uh, so as part of that research, we, we really uh, examined the feasibility or trying to examine the feasibility of utilizing upper river diversions as a supplementary flood control features. Uh, we wanted to examine their potential ability to reduce the duration and magnitude of the Bonacari pulses uh, while using the river resources, uh, which is freshwater, sediment, nutrients, to nourish uh, wetlands and use these resources better. So that so, that was. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to ask what what made you even think of that. Is that an idea that had been around for a while? Uh, that is a good question. So managing the lower river has been a topic of discussion for a while, uh, including the flow split between the Mississippi and the Atchafalaya rivers, uh, the, the the utilization of the Morganza spillway and Bonacary. Um, so, so that, that question has been around for a while now within the arena of coastal restoration. And we, uh, revisit those concepts that have been in place for several decades now to try to optimize them and maximize the benefit and manage the river better. Uh, so, so that question has been there. However, Bonacary has been used more frequently, uh, lately, uh, for example, the, the past three years, including this current year. So we opened it in 2018, 19, and 2020, which is three years in a row. That has never happened before. It also been used twice in the same calendar year. That has also never happened before, uh, especially that the late pulse in 2019 uh, really brought that issue to the forefront right now because it did, um, there were some related water quality issues associated with that pulse uh, that brought back that question to the forefront. So, so a matter of, of good timing, right? And something that, that was so, supposed to be looked at or, or could have been looked at before. Um, so, so Ehab, just to kind of explain to folks the layout, um, there were several diversions that were included in Louisiana's Comprehensive Coastal Master Plan. Uh, we focus a lot on some of the lower diversions, right, south of the city in Mid-Breton and Mid-Barataria, but, but these are part of diversions located north of the Bonnie Carey Spillway, AMA, Union, right? That is correct. Yeah, we did look at uh, AMA. Uh, we actually moved it further upriver from the location that is suggested in the master plan. Union has already been upriver. 
Uh, and also we included the river in reintroduction into the Moropah swamp. Um, people refer to it as the Moropah diversion as well. So, so Ama's on the Barataria side, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wish you could see me. I'm, I'm like closing my eyes trying to picture a map. Ama's on the Barataria side and Union's on kind of the Pontchartrain side, right? That is correct. So Ama uh, would take the water away from the, from the, the Lake Pontchartrain side into Barataria. Union and Morapa are obviously uh, on the same side as Bonacary. So, so what did your study find, Ehab? So um, it was interesting that uh, the, the, the analysis that we did, which focused on the riverside, um, showed us that when we use both AMA North, we call it AMA North, which uh, the, the movement of AMA further upriver and union diversions, uh, when we use those two jointly, uh, we were able to reduce uh, the volume, uh, the water volume that is passing through the Bonacary spillway uh, somewhere close to 60%, between 57 and 61%. So let's say about 60% reduction in the volume. And we also were able to reduce the duration um, of the pulse or the opening uh, down from 143 days down to 96 days. So that was also a, 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 a noticeable reduction in the duration. So these are the findings that we, uh, we came up with from the Riverside analysis. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, we've talked about diversions often as, you know, vital ecosystem restoration tools um, and coastal restoration tools, but to actually examine them as, you know, potential for water management and river management as well, just to see those um, synergies is really great. So what are the next steps? I know you're doing another phase of, of this study as well. So the, the, that's correct. So we have a, a, a follow-up phase to that river side analysis, which is the basin side analysis. Um, and in this current phase, uh, we are examining the impact on water quality, assessing the potential benefits of diverting the river resources, um, the freshwater, sediment, and nutrients to nourish wetland areas. Uh, so we are planning to examine those scenarios uh, in the basin side, both Beriteria and the uh, Pontchartrain Basin. Well, that'll be really interesting and definitely something that I know a lot of folks, um, you know, will be interested to, to learn the results of that as well. But hopeful, I think, in terms of how do we confront this new normal of, you know, higher rivers, more floods and more frequent openings of the Bonnie Carry. I mean, it, it seems like it's such a large, complex question, but to actually drill down and be like, hey, here are some specific solutions that already exist in the coastal master plan. Um, it's, it's hopeful to see to see that. That is correct. That's correct. Uh, and that's why we chose um, uh, upper river diversions that are already listed in the master plan so that we can ensure consistency with the, with the, with the master plan uh, from the get-go. Well, Ehab, we cannot let you get out of this interview without talking about your TED Talk. So <laughs> hope you're prepared for that. So you, a couple years back as part of um, TED visiting LSU, I think maybe um, you did a TED talk about why we need to break out of our professional silos to save the coast, to save our coast. So what, what did you talk about? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, definitely it was an excellent experience and it was uh, TED, uh, TEDx at LSU um, and the message of that talk was, uh, especially to the new generations of scientists and engineers, that environmental problems 
are quite complex and they are multidimensional. Um, it's, it's not only about moving water and dirt, it is about the communities impacted by, by actions. It is about the natural environment surrounding these projects. Uh, so engineering tools and models uh, must consider these important factors and take them into account while proposing strategies, while uh, coming up with solutions to engage early and often with the communities to pay attention to the multi-uses that we have in our coasts in order for the solutions to be uh, viable and meaningful. So that's really the, it boils down to that message. Yeah, so such an important message. And I would, I've watched the TED Talk. It's available on YouTube um, and highly recommend others go and watch it if they haven't seen it already. So Ehab, one more thing we want to, we hit on before we, we exit this interview. Back in 2019, you were honored as a top 25 newsmaker by the Engineering News Record, joining construction industry leaders from across the United States, who, who the publication hailed as astute leaders, risk takers, clever problem solvers, and passionate community servants. I think that that describes you pretty well, Ehab. So you... What what would you say to the other little Ehabs or the other, you know, the next generation? I, I know you have kids, Ehab. What what do you have to say to the next generation that might want to follow your footsteps or or maybe not even consider that? What what would you tell them about the importance of this work? Um, I think it's and I think that's important, very important for scientists and engineers is uh, impartiality and objectivity. Because these two traits are, are crucial for engineers and scientists, because uh, our value to society and our contribution is really to provide technical input and present the potential benefit along with the associated risk. If we step away from that and start to advocate or start to be uh, emotionally attached to certain strategy or a, a, a solution that we are, we are evaluating, then we lose that objectivity and we lose our value. Uh, there are uh, groups that should advocate um, and they should stay on that side. Um, so, we, so that's where the role of scientists and engineers need to remain um, in that uh, even-keeled objective evaluation, provide the risks, provide the benefits, and then step away and do not get engaged in the decision-making. Uh, inform the decision-making, but don't engage in it because you cannot be on both sides of the fence. That's my, that's my um, message. It's an important message. Um, and, uh, you know, congratulations again on that uh, recognition. Um, so, Ihab, before we let you go, we have a tradition on Delta Dispatches. We like to ask our guests um, a fun question. So I guess your fun question, um, I'm going to ask you to, um, I guess, be impartial in, you know, removing probably your two favorite deltas, so the Mississippi River and the Nile Delta. But beyond those rivers, um, what is your other favorite or, or you know, uh, river delta that, that most interests you in the world? So, so the, the one that interests me the most, which I actually did not get to study, and I do hope that I will have a chance someday to study it, is the Amazon. Um, it's just um, because I am interested in the... Uh, in the rainforest region in general, and the Amazon has always been um, a, a, a really a dream for me to study that that big river in the delta. Um, so I can uh, so that that definitely is my my hope 
one day is to get a chance to go down there and study it. Well, it certainly is a great answer, and hopefully, yeah, it'll involve a lot of um, you know on-location field study of of the Amazon and that beautiful area. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ihaven, and please come back. Don't be a stranger in Delta Dispatches. So we're about to head into a break and bring on our next guest. But first, it's time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, this week's Coastal Voice is from Lynn in Slidell, and she says, we are the coast. Short and sweet, but we couldn't agree more, Lynn. So just a reminder, you can go on MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast and submit your own coastal voice at any time. And it might just be read on a Delta Dispatches. So we'll be right back with our next guest. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. I have the coastal stat of the week from the NOLA article in the Times-Picayune, New Orleans advocate. Louisiana ranked number two in the nation in terms of the proportion of properties with substantial flood risk at 21.1%. The even worse news is that in 2050, when tip, when a typical 30-year mortgage signed today would expire, the number of properties considered at substantial risk for flooding in Louisiana will have increased by 70%, 70% to over 800,000 statewide. That's by far the largest increase in flooding risk of any state. In Louisiana, most of the 30-year increase will result will result from rising sea levels caused by global warming that will result in higher storm surges from high tides increased by sea level rise and by flood events triggered by increased rates of rainfall. Yeah, definitely, you know, sobering news, but also, um, as we've highlighted in the past, um, a reminder of the urgency of the work we're doing and the window of opportunity to rebuild wetlands, get resilience and um, you know, really emphasizing the multiple lines of defense strategy, which leads us to our next guest. Um, so welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Christy Trail, Executive Director with Pontchartrain Conservancy. What? <laughs> so Christy, for those who may have missed, give us the news. You all had a very exciting announcement recently. So tell us about it. Yes, we did. And thank you. Thank you for having me on today. So we just recently went through a rebrand of our 30-year-old organization. And as you let me spill the beans, we changed our name from Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, and we are now Pontchartrain Conservancy. Christy, do you feel that that identifies what you're doing more? Tell us a little bit about what inspired the name change or the rebrand. I think just having been around for 30 years, you know, a lot changes in 30 years. Uh, we've grown a lot in 30 years. And with our name having stayed the same over that period of time, I think a lot of folks still associate us with the work that we did 30 years ago. And you're right. We've grown. We've evolved. We've added programs. Um, and trying to get that message out with all the new things that we do, uh, we felt a name change was a key part in helping us tell our story. It- 
and one thing you're known for is your science. And so that y'all also have a new kind of tagline, right? Science for our coast. Yes. Science for our coast. That's our new tagline. So um, we've, you know, been going through a few changes here. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about our website a little bit, but you know, our previous tagline was save our lake. And that was a great rallying cry for us, especially in the late eighties, early nineties, when Lake Pontchartrain was a polluted body of water. But since then, you know, fast forward to about 15 years ago, the lakes was declared clean and it's been declared clean ever since. And so we often would walk around the office saying, okay, we've already saved our lake. What's next? You know, but, but we still had this tagline of save our lake. And so, you know, after putting our heads together and really thinking it through, we came up with science for our coast. That's great. And I mean, part of that is, you know, you all have not just been focused on the lake, but on such a broader region. And and you've talked about this in previous shows, but I mean, give our listeners, remind them of the sense of the scope and scale of Pontchartrain Conservancy and and where you've been working. So most of our work has focused in Southeast Louisiana. We look after the Pontchartrain Basin, which is the entire watershed of Lake Pontchartrain. And that's all the water going into Lake Pontchartrain as well as out of Lake Pontchartrain. Um, And that encompasses 16 parishes. So we start to look after, you know, what's happening along the coastline of our basin outside of the greater New Orleans area, what's happening down around the Chandelier Islands at the Mississippi River Delta. And it's really hard to to draw a hard boundary around what's happening on our coast. And so we felt a little constrained with our previous name saying that, okay, we can only look after this particular portion of the state. But, you know, as I said, it's hard to do that with the coast to only look after a certain piece of it. We know that the whole state needs work. Yeah. And I another note in terms of the overall uh, rebrand um, and as a comms and marketing person, I kind of geek out on, on logos. So tell us about the updated logo and what that represents for Pontchartrain Conservancy. Yes, we're very excited about our logo. It's got a nice clean look. Uh, we love the new colors that have come with it. And it has three waves. So obviously, a lot of the work that we do does deal with water, um, you know, with coastal restoration and water quality, educating students in the area about water. So that's hence the waves and the blue color. But we chose three of them because it really focuses on our work, which is research, advocacy and education. So so it's been a few weeks, Christy, since y'all rebranded, right? What's the reception been like? Um, I'd say 99% positive, you know, having been around for 30 years, um, there's a lot of people that remember when we started. And so we've heard from a few of our initial supporters and they were like, wait, what? I really liked the old name. So, um, we've had some, you know, conversations with some of our, you know, initial supporters and people that were around that started the organization. Overall, everybody loves it. It's just, you know, change is not always easy for everyone. And I'll admit even here amongst our staff, Um, You know, Jacques, you mentioned you're much more in the marketing realm. We're all in the science realm. I'm an engineer. Most of the staff here are scientists. Marketing and logos and rebranding is definitely not our thing. So it's really hard for us to sit down and um, brainstorm and come up with ideas and try to come up with something that we could all agree on. It took us it took us quite a while. But once we all finally got there to something that we liked, now we're all on board. Well, that must be such a, you know, um, it always is such a big uh, kind of complex process, but you all did such a great job with the rollout and the, the name and the logo. You also have a new website as well to boot. So tell us about the website, um, what's on it, and then also the, the new website address. 
Sure. Yes, our new website address matches our tagline. It's scienceforourcoast.org. Um, and we have all the information about the great work that we do around coastal restoration, a lot of the water quality work. There's some great tools on there for educators and even students who are home this summer um, to learn about our basin and an estuary and a lot of the wildlife that live in our estuary, um, the status of our water quality. So we've added some really fun toolkits on there. So we hope that people do use that as a resource, especially while we're in this phase of you know, summer and staying at home and trying to keep ourselves occupied while we're following all the social distancing rules. There are some great tools on our website. Christy, I also saw that y'all um, are talking about a partnership uh, with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, where y'all work together to create some artificial reefs. Tell us about some of the benefits of that or some of that, uh, not just of the project, but also of the partnership. Yes. So we are super excited about this. Um, and we're starting now to roll out and really kind of tell our story. But we worked uh, mostly in the Lake Bourne area, which, again, is part of our basin. Um, doing some work to build some artificial reefs. And so these um, increase habitat in an area. It's an otherwise, it's a really soft, muddy bottom. But adding in this hard habitat, you know, brings in some more biological benefits to the area. So you can allow for some more creatures to kind of grow on those reefs. And then that will attract the little fish. And where the little fish are, the big fish come. So we're trying to really increase that habitat there. Um, we created that with 880 tons of limestone and 130 reef balls. So it was a very labor-intensive effort of getting barges out there, placing all this material almost one by one at a time in the area. And then once it was all set in, as I mentioned, having that soft, muddy bottom, we had to go back and work with the state to survey it because, of course, we didn't want to impede navigation or completely change the landscape of what people were used to out there. Um, so we've completed that survey and it all appears to be working great. Everything okay at the lighthouse? Yes. Yeah, so the lighthouse um, does sit on Lake Pontchartrain and it is fully exposed to Mother Nature. And as you all know, we already had a hurricane this year. We had a name storm the first week of hurricane season. Um, and so we were like, great, we're going to put this to the test this year. Um, but it survived just fine. We actually were heavily impacted by a tropical storm in 2017. It was a little tiny storm that probably nobody remembers, but it was Tropical Storm Cindy in 2017. But when that happened, the lake came up so high, uh, it scoured out our complete landscaping, took away all of our grass, our bushes, um, and it really made it difficult to access the lighthouse for quite a period of time. Well, that prompted us to take a look to say, okay, if we're going to have this lighthouse this structure fully exposed on Lake Pontchartrain outside of the levee system. And we know what we're dealing with in South Louisiana with sea level rise and subsidence and more frequent storms. How are we going to have this lighthouse to continue to survive? So we worked with some experts in the area. Some, um, you know, we have master naturalists and master gardeners all throughout the area that are really familiar with the landscape here. They helped us build a rain garden full of native plants it took quite a bit of time, but we um, got that thing built. We were super excited about it. Then when the storm came through this year, Tropical Storm Cristobal, um, we watched and waited to see what would happen. And guess what? The rain garden did great. All the plants survived. Uh, the landscaping did great. 
which meant that our lighthouse was ready to open for business the day after the storm. Oh, good news. Good news. Yes. Yes. So we were excited to see that, uh, that we could, you know, survive a storm. Now let's hope that's the only one we have this year. Um, But yeah, so it's doing great. We are back open to the public. We're just asking that folks call us before they arrive, but we're happy to have visitors there. And again, it's a great place for us to tell our story as well as the story of Southeast Louisiana and why our coastline is important to the entire country. Yeah, I love the lighthouse and it's such a beautiful spot uh, on the lake. And I've been able to kind of bike out there and enjoy it every now and then. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah, um, love biking on, on Lakeshore Drive, um, you know, and it's just such a great way to experience the lake. And, and it goes all the way. You can keep going all the way through Jefferson Parish as well. So, Christy, tell us a little bit. I noticed on the on the new website, um, there is uh, an at home activity called Ecosystems of the Pontchartrain Basin. Tell us about that and how you know parents and others can engage with the activity. Sure. So, and thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, most folks may not know that we do have two full-time educators on staff here at Pontchartrain Conservancy. Um, and a lot of the work that we do is with K through 12 schools in the area, but we also do a lot of work with teachers in the area to let folks know, you know, as they're going through their curriculums at school and, you know, educating our students about the world that we live in here in South Louisiana, that we have some tools very specific to the ecosystem in and around Lake Pontchartrain. And I tell you this because I was talking to a science teacher about two years ago um, that's, you know, within Southeast Louisiana, and she showed me some science worksheets that she was working with her middle school students on And they were all about the Florida Everglades. And she was just shocked that she didn't have tools available to teach her students about the swamps and uh, ecosystems and marshlands that we have in Southeast Louisiana, that the tools that she was given really focused on a different state, similar but different to our ecosystem here. So that's one thing that we've been aiming to really get in front of teachers is to show them, you know, here's some science tools that meet all the science standards but it's really focused on the local ecology. So one of those tools is on our website, as you mentioned, um, and some of the tools. And again, students that are home this summer, parents, you're looking for something for those kids to do that's not on the Xbox, <laughs> go to our website and download some of the tools. Yeah, and it's I, I had a chance to check it out, and it's beautifully done and super engaging and informative. So I encourage that. Christy, I mean, it must feel so good to be over this hump of, you know, the redesign, the rebrand, the launch of the new website. So I, I'm sure you hopefully took some time to breathe, but but where, what are you most excited about going forward and, and kind of with this new era of the Pontchartrain Conservancy? Well, I'm just really excited to get the opportunity to tell our story and to talk about the great work that we do and really emphasize the great science that we have to offer. You know, we didn't really redirect our focus or necessarily do a, you know, a big mission change or, um, you know, pivot to a new direction. We really just wanted to have a chance to emphasize to the, you know, community all that we do uh, for this great state that we live in and all the data that we gather. And again, that our website is a great resource. So we're super excited to be able to talk about the work that we do and tell our story. Awesome. Well, Uh, I think you know this because you've been on our show before, Um, but it's time for the fun question. And in the spirit of getting outside and enjoying um, the Pontchartrain Basin, 
Um, I've had an opportunity to do this a few times, as I mentioned, biking and even hiking on the North Shore a little bit. Um, but what is your favorite spot within the Pontchartrain Basin to get outside? Uh, well, that's a good question. So uh, we do have a boat. My husband and I have a boat. In fact, we were out on the lake this past weekend. And that's one of the things I really just love to do is be out on a boat on the lake whether it's like Pontchartrain or Lake Bourne to get out there and really enjoy the air and swim in the water. We, we pull tubes behind the boat and our children go, you know, swimming around in the lake and it's a great place. Um, there's actually a really fun beach on the North shore near Slidell called North shore beach. And so some of your listeners may already be familiar with it. Um, and it's a great spot to just pull up, hop out the boat, walk around, um, and check out all that the lake has to offer. Awesome. Yeah. And I have not been to that beach, but definitely will add it to the list. And I know your website um, has a lot of really good information about ways to enjoy um, the Pontchartrain Basin and even swimming in and around the lake. So um, definitely check that out. So one more time, Christy, what is the new website um, that folks can go to experience Pontchartrain Conservancy um, directly? Scienceforourcoast.org. So check it out, folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Huge congratulations on the rebrand and launch of the new website and everything. Um, and we'll have to have you back soon to, to kind of talk about all the other exciting things that are going on at Pontchartrain Conservancy. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. All right, Simone. Well, that's another great show. You know, we did kind of focus a little bit on the lake there with Ehab in the beginning and then Christy. And I, I always love having a first time guest with a, you know, with a regular. Um, so we're excited to bring more good shows to you in the weeks and months ahead. Um, just a reminder, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Google play, um, subscribe to Delta dispatches, catch up on prior episodes, rate us, subscribe us, share us with your friends. Um, and we are excited to bring you more great content in, in the, in the months ahead. So any closing thoughts, Simone? Jacques, you didn't say oyster or bird once this entire show. Like, is that a bet or something? Did Ryan bet you? Did producer Ryan bet you that you couldn't go a whole show and not say that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we did have a whole show committed to Audubon recently. So I figured, you know, we could kind of <laughs> let it go for a show or two. Right. Just wanted to make sure we weren't changing too much. We had great show. Mm-hmm. Love to talk to Ehab and Christy and reconnect on on with some two old friends that we hadn't talked to in a while. Exactly. Well, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon on the next Delta Dispatches.